What's Underneath is a CastBox original produced in partnership with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all of your favorite podcasts. You can listen to What's Underneath wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot and see for yourself. Hello and welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire radical self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you. I'm Lily Mandelbaum, and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind. And we are Style Like You. In our new podcast, we are going to expand the types of intimate, unfiltered conversations we've been having in our viral video series, The What's Underneath Project. Each week, we will interview diverse nonconformists about their relationship to style, self-image, and identity. Being radically honest without shame and holding that honesty with compassion is self-acceptance. Mom? Yes. Who are we here with today? We're here with my son and your brother, Louis. I spoke a lot about him in my interview, and I felt that it, it was sort of a natural extension in beginning this podcast to introduce him and our relationship with him um, before we go off, you know, past the family into interviewing other people like our extended family. He was one of our first closet interviews. He's always been our one of our our, uh, guinea, our pig. guinea pigs. So I Any remember new project that we do. Lewis is always one of the first people to be interviewed. And then years later, when the project is more well known, he's like, can I do it again? And also right. like when it's better. I mean, not right. that like this is bad, but I'm just saying like, I know that like in two months, like you guys are going to be like rocking and rolling and it's like going to be this whole thing. And I'm going to be like, oh, cool. And, 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 and so I just want to say that I did when we first started Style Like You at the very, very, very beginning, Lewis, and you can still find the video, was our literally number one well, maybe number two. Was it number two or number one? I don't one? know. It was, it was early. Um, closet um, video that, and I did it with him. Um, what was a closet video, mom, for those? Closet video is when we, when we started at, when we started at the very beginning, we went into people's homes and just, they just talked about their style and what their style, why they love their style. And it was pretty basic and simple, but I still think, I still really treasure that video and look back on it a lot. He was one of our first What's Underneath guinea pigs. For the What's Underneath Project video series. For the What's Underneath, yeah, Project video series. Uh, so I, so we're interested in this in this podcast series to go back to people, not necessarily everyone, but um, people that we have done these videos on in the past, just to see um, where they are now. And you know, we find it interesting to 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 we're we're look we're looking forward to following up and seeing uh, the changes or you know what's happened. So for all those reasons, cool. we're doing this. And Lewis, how are you feeling right now? I just got a little nervous, but I um, am excited because I like the opportunity to talk about myself. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I think it's like cathartic and helps me like get perspective on my like life to talk about it in a broader way. Uh as opposed to just like being in it all the time. I think and, that's interesting based on the fact that you're pretty much an introvert. What? what? That you um, find speaking to people and connecting with people healthy and gives you a bigger perspective. And yet you're very introverted. You're very, you, 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 you really value your alone time a lot, which is very the opposite from Lily and I. Yeah. Well, I, I like, Lily was saying this the other night when we were like at a friend's house. Like I, I do like connecting and like being on and talking to people, but it's just in a finite 
like I, it just has to be finite. It's not that, like I I certainly would be like miserable and anxious and depressed if I like never smoked anyone. That's not my desire. Right. So what? Why did you get a little nervous? I don't know. I always get jittery. I get performance anxiety. Do you think that this is a performance? No, but I like before I have before. Yeah, because I think I have a thing about needing to like be on. Like, I, I think I still struggle sometimes with like, like myself being enough. So like, I think sometimes I feel like I have to like turn something on, which I can turn on really easily. And usually like is, is um, the catalyst for it turning on is anxiety. Do you, do you, um, with DJing, um, do you get performance anxiety? I don't get performance anxiety really anymore with that. I mean, I guess like in certain situations, like if I was in a very new new um, setting where I wasn't sure what I was going to be doing exactly, I might get a little bit. But I generally find that actually more exciting, like when I do have those opportunities these days, because they're kind of few and far between. Um, my anxiety with DJing is more about like the interactions I will have to have like on the way to the DJ booth. The interactions I'll have to have with like the staff at a venue, like what might I pick up about how they're feeling about me? So judgment? Judgment and like an existential anxiety that like people think I'm weird. So I so I sort of like have, or, or they find like that I'm so quirky that like, you know, I sometimes like want to get through the interact. Like when, I, when, I'm with, when I'm interacting with people that I don't feel like under, inherently like understand and appreciate that or maybe are like thrown by it, I that gives me anxiety because I just want, I don't want to like make them uncomfortable slash. I don't like, I just want to like kind of get out of those interactions like as fast as possible. Generally. I find that sort of fascinating because I have the complete opposite reaction to that. Like I like when people think that I'm quirky and I wouldn't want them to think any other way, but I, I, I've so that's sort of interesting to me that, um, you feel that you seem to feel like you want to make them comfortable or take care of them. I guess that's not totally true. I mean, I definitely enjoy as an idea my quirkiness and I love it more and more. And when I feel I'm in the presence of other people that are appreciating it, like that's great. It's like my favorite feeling. But when I'm in, when it's when it's out and I feel like it's being misunderstood, that's like mm-hmm. really uncomfortable for me. And, like, brings up a lot of, like, my deeper wounds, like, related to, like, being misunderstood, not, like, myself being, like, being myself being dangerous to me somehow. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Um, Well, you know, I think a lot of, I mean, I guess I don't like to be blanket about this because I think, like, queer people um, experience and react to this in different ways, but I think when you grow up feeling like you have to sort of like, um, like you, that your safety is somewhat reliant on like how you're perceived by other people, um, and not making yourself too big so as to avoid, um, or at least that was my experience. Like, you know, like the, the sort of like who, who, how much of myself can I be around X, Y, Z person without like putting myself in some sort of like, danger can you like give us a little bit like more details on some of the experiences that like when this started and what were some of the experiences that you were having that brought this to the surface i can't remember when it started but it definitely started really young um like the first thing that springs to my mind is like summer camp and i went to like an all-boys summer camp and 
that in and of itself, I remember being like a very anxiety producing thing because I always, um, from a young age, felt much safer around women. So, um, like getting shipped off to like a boys only zone was like definitely anxiety producing. And then, um, and that was like when I was nine or 10. So, and, and, and then I, you know, there was a lot of like sexual awakening that occurred at summer camp in that environment because I was around a lot of boys and a lot of older boys. And the camp was like super old school, like world war two status, like open showers. And like one of my like biggest, like, memory like one of like you know those like epic like little memories that like shape you that like just they seem small but they like end up just being like these like monolithic things in your like formation of your personality is like being in those showers when I was like nine or ten and like realizing that I was like attracted to the other people in the shower and like being fucking freaked the fuck out and like not knowing like how I was going to like shower for like the entire summer, like how was I like just basic things like that. And like when I remember being very fixated on like, when was I going to shower? Like when would be the safest time for me to shower? Trying to like isolate times in the day and the schedule of the day that I knew like the least people were going to be there. Um, was that because you were so terrified of your feelings? No, it's I, I was literally terrified of like the, my physical bodily reaction to like being there like and, getting a boner yeah oh yeah and, that's what i mean yeah and yeah. that being something that was gonna like get me in in trouble wow. and um and yeah and but then also simultaneously like being like very drawn to it and like wanting to like spy on everybody in the show <laughs> but like <laughs> I, like i would want i would love to have like i remember wanting to like spy from a hidden place <laughs> Um, but like, but then just like having just massive anxiety around that being to taking a shower. Why were you, why do you think you were so afraid of that reaction? I don't know. Can you explain the larger reason why you were afraid? Well, yeah. I mean, I think in those days, especially like, you know, it, it was, it was, I definitely had embedded in me from a young age and I don't, it's not a thing where I'm like, Oh, I remember the moment that like I became conscious of this, but it somehow was like on a low grade from a young age that like that wasn't cool slash like you get made fun of like that, like gay people get made fun of gay people get like scorned and potentially like physically harmed. So I don't know how I picked that up, but I definitely did. And I mean, like, in those days, like, it was very normal for, like, boys to just call each other, like, everything, every diss was, you're gay, that's gay, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, you're, 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 like, I just remember, like, that was just what everybody always said to each other, so, um, I had an awareness of what being gay was, I guess, I don't know, somehow I had an awareness of what it was, and that it was something that got mocked, and see, it was seen as inherently negative. Um, Wow. When you explain this, it just reminds me of like how little you you shared about these experiences to me and my and mom and like considering how close we were, like how it's only been in like recent years that a lot of these like experiences of your early shame and like bullying and stuff like that, like have come to the surface. Like, why do you think that is? I mean, even listening to you just explain this is like, oh, my God, how could you that you could that you kept that to yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, it hurts me too, because I mean, but I, but I, but I really never considered 
any other option. I was very afraid. I remember just being very afraid of the reality, like being aware of the reality that I was gay, that being something that like created a lot of fear and anxiety, um, even though it felt inevitable that I was going to have to face it at some point. I remember just like it, it was, it was more than not wanting to tell you guys. I think it was more that I just wasn't ready to look at it myself. And thus I, I think I felt that if I cued you guys into what was going on, it would, it would through our closeness and like through our family relationship, like your awareness of it would, would potentially force me to have to, confront it it would make it real yeah it would make it real and i was definitely not ready for that to be real and so i just felt like it was the easiest and safest bet for me to just sort of like keep it to myself and that was just because i didn't really and it, it wasn't even that thought out i mean i just like literally like i my way of dealing with it was to like try to kind of just like put it out of my mind like that was just like how I strategized to handle what was like something that I just didn't have the equipment to deal with at the time. Emotionally, uh, yeah. that was just the the best that I could do. I have so many questions. Okay, so first of all, it's so unbelievably heartbreaking because I remember from my point of view, because I remember how incredibly adorably irresistible you were um, <laughs> at that age, like nine years old, going for the first time on the bus to camp. And you were so, I remember what you were wearing. I remember where you were sitting on the bus. I remember your face, like you were so strong, like you, you wanted to go, like you wanted to go early to camp earlier than Lily. Hmm. Um, you went earlier. I'm kind of surprised you went earlier than Lily. I used to hate doing group activity. I mean, like I remember, like I have nightmare (laughs) memories of going skiing with dad and like he would put me in ski school and I was like, please do not fucking put me in ski school. (laughs) Like there's nothing worse to me than like getting grouped in with these other kids and like this weird teacher and you're just like sending me off for the day. Like, are you kidding? But you wanted to just like be together and like, and like, I don't have to go to ski school. Yeah, you went to sleep to this sleepaway camp, which by the way, Lewis went to the sleepaway camp that his dad went to and Lily went to the one that I went to in Maine. And, um, and, and, and you, you went at a younger age than she did because you really wanted to go. And, um, and I was, it was really hard for me. And, 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 uh, and I just remember, I remember what you were wearing and I remember, your face, like just determined, you know, to say goodbye to me, which was really always hard for the two of us. Oh my God. That's more what I remember is like how incredibly anxious I was. (laughs) You had like this really stiff upper lip. You know, the thing that was cool, the thing that literally allowed me to survive a lot of this stuff was that I had an incredibly active imagination and I just lived inside of that for like most of my life. I still do. Like I just... I was able to like turn camp into like some sort of like fantasia of like, <laughs> of like it. I loved the independence. I was, I was definitely once I got there and I got over the initial, the initial separation anxiety, I loved feeling like I was doing my own thing. I loved like feeling like I had my, I felt like even though we were in bunks, like with like four people in a counselor, I was like, I have my own plate. Like I sort of felt like I was like, I could like decorate my like little area. And like, I had like a lot of like <laughs> fantasies about like being like a adventurer sort of like, Oh yeah. But you used to do like that Lewis when you were younger. 
Yeah. Well, when you were younger, you were always, or even still sort of at that age, but definitely younger, every day you were a character. Captain Hook was a big one for a while, and then you would dress Lily up as, and then you would try to dress Lily up as Captain Hook. You would like take the- I know. We were talking the other day, like when we were reflecting on the pilot, (laughs) I was like, she was so, she was so, didn't give a fuck about like being a good supporting character in my fantasy life. No. She just like was- She just stood there. She was, and also she just like- did her own like she just like was like I'm doing my thing like yeah. I was just like your thing's not working like you need to do it better but she and I would get so upset yeah like the time that the two of you were singing Lewis sang Lewis memorized every single song and word to the sound of music and Lily was the sidekick and she starts taking her clothes off in order to get attention because he's in the in the front of the video and like you know demanding all the attention so she starts throwing her clothes off and, like, <laughs> and banging on the freaking yeah. piano but anyway so going back so you were always dressing up and then um and and then there was a phantom of the opera was a big one well, anyway everything was like a fantasy talking about your fantasy yeah role. and looking back like that was just like i survived a lot of shit by doing that like that was a genius technique i developed well and every i mean i was gonna ask you about like your other experiences of of um of kind of like where you may not have shared things that were going on in your like formative years but i and what just came to mind when you said that is like how you would come home after school in like middle school pretty pretty much every day and just like um shut the door to your room and we had no idea what you were doing but you were like making plays and stuff Mm -hmm. i think but like i was (laughs) But I feel and like I was I would do everything from like making like stage sets out of like your Hermes scarves to (laughs) um, like and then do full on productions. And I would run through the productions like in order, like with intermissions, like like I'd get into like a routine with it. And like it was like an almost like an it almost had like an official quality to it. Or I'd pretend to be like Britney Spears or I would like take a blanket. Right I would do all kinds of stuff. Something like with a blanket. Scarves. So what was going on like during the, that time that you were maybe not sharing to us, but was painful or, or... So I don't know like when exactly in the timeline this happened, but at a certain point I got... I And at camp, I don't have memories of being actively bullied. In early high school, I went... I had gone to the... Uh, you had put me in like this private school where it was really small. There was like 14 kids in the in the grade or whatever. And it in was... In middle school. In middle school, sorry. And it was like um, very closely sort of like... There was more teachers than students. So it was like there wasn't a ton of room for like... And everyone was kind of sheltered. I don't know. It just... It, there wasn't... We weren't... And the boys and girls were separated. So there wasn't like a lot of... Um, a lot of room for bullying, but I was definitely like still having tons of like crazy internal experiences. Like all my friends started like kissing girls. And I remember at one point, one of my best friends like got a blowjob in front of me. And it like, I remember like it, it just created like, what year was that? Probably in seventh grade. And I like was just in the room watching and I, and I was like very like, it just it, it 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 was like this sort of like steady formation of this like person that sort of like observed life but didn't like necessarily like participate in it because I just didn't I didn't know where I like fit into that sort of thing like I didn't know I didn't know where like the idea of like doing anything sexual like with another guy like was literally not even on the table 
even though like I did have a few experiences in middle school with like my with a friend where we like fooled around a little bit and like a very sort of like it was couched in like wrestling um but uh uh at a certain point like in high school I um started getting like actively attacked by like a group of guys and you know they they were friends with all of like the girlfriends that I really quickly made and so it like uh, you know, it just basically was like they just took over and they would sort of like post up in this kind of common area in the school and just I like my big my big like shocker because I hadn't really experienced like that kind of overt bullying up to that point was like coming to re- like you had taken me shopping for like new clothes for ninth grade or whatever and one of, one of which included like this like pair of sort of like tight fitting diesel black jeans that I like really wanted to get. And I thought they looked great. And, and I don't, and I am having trouble remembering exactly what happened. Basically I passed this group of guys and they all like, like paused what they were doing. And then essentially like just started like make like screaming and making fun of me with like all of my girlfriends, um, hanging out with them. Um, just and, and sort of, they were sort of laughing along. Everyone was kind of just sort of like laughing about the jeans and like that I looked like a faggot. And um, so, how did that affect you? What did you do? I froze and I got really hot in the face, and I like literally like I just froze. I just remember just really freezing and shrinking and just sort of like feeling like paralyzed, and then. Um, and just trying to like look away or just wanting to like get out of it. And then I just kind of like, I just remember kind of like a zombie, like walking upstairs in the building and just sort of like finding an empty classroom and just sort of like sitting there, like staring at a wall for like hours and like, just sort of like not, it wasn't like I cried or anything. I just like, didn't, I just felt so overwhelmed by like, you know, it, it was it was a lot to handle because I was I felt so attacked and I was so already my identity already felt so fraught for me and I was already like had enough going on inside and I just like didn't really want to tell anybody about it because I just didn't want to draw attention more attention to it. Why were you still not wanting to draw attention to it? I'm mean, this is like you're talking now like 15, a few 14. years later. Um, I mean, even more actively, I became more consciously. Um, it was coming to a head, but I also was fighting extra hard to have it not come to a head. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I just felt like any talking about it to anybody was going to raise questions, especially like in your guys' mind. And I really didn't want to raise questions about it. I wasn't. I did not want you guys to have questions about it. That was a very like, I was afraid that you would would, and I I had a ton of anxiety that you already thought it that I was gay, and I certainly like didn't think it would be like a a, a an advantageous strategy to tell you that lots of other people thought so too, and were like making it a point to let me know that they thought so. Um, it kills me because I literally would have beaten the fucking shit out of those people. Yeah, it, it wasn't about <laughs> it. Was, I it, wish I could do it now. I, well, 
Yeah, I mean, it it wasn't like... <laughs> it's hard for me to process because it's not like I wasn't... I spent all of my psychic energy just keeping a lid on it. Like, I, I just... It, it was just... I don't know. I got into a groove with doing that. Like, it was just the approach I started taking instinctually at a young age and then I just really couldn't break out of it. I didn't have the self-awareness to stop it. I just sort of, like, kept... It just got kept getting going and getting more intense. One of my most vivid memories of of like when I look back on it all and being like whoa like this was like you really were like calculating a strategy for like hiding this like I remember when we would be on like family vacations in like eighth grade or so or ninth grade I don't know what you were maybe you were in ninth grade by then I don't remember and you would write you wrote a list of people that you had hooked up with girls and it came and later you told me that that list was completely like fabricated. Yeah. And you had me feeling so insecure because I had never kissed a boy and I was totally like. <laughs> insecurity begets insecurity. Yeah. I was totally like feeling ashamed. <laughs> it's a that chain. I, it's like when you lie and then somebody else lies. I don't know. It could just become. Was that like around that yeah. same time? I mean, did you have anyone else that you to felt. To confide in? Yeah. That you felt was gay also and or you, you had a best friend. Not until I got to... Um, you had a best boyfriend. Yeah, not until I got to 11th grade and switched schools. That and was, did you switch schools because of the bullying? Yes, yes. I, I, I wanted to get a, the, the main impetus. I mean, I really hated Westchester and like definitely like had a fan. That was part of the part of like my... Fa- the fantasy that ended up developing around that time was that my life was a TV show. And I, w- <laughs> I pretended for about... I pretended for about like six or seven years, like through early college that like... My life was a TV show. Every single grade was like a different season in the TV show. And um, and like it arose from like being obsessed with Sex and the City and like thinking like, wow, like that seems like a fun, cool way to like encapsulate your life. Like as like everything's a storyline, like everything's a um, like the mundane is fantastical. I don't know. Like it, 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 uh. That was a big thing. So I would like walk around school all day and just sort of be like, this is a TV show. Everything that's happening around (laughs) me is like just other characters in the TV show. And, um, you know, and because I think a lot of that arose from like, you know, I was fat, I was fixated and fascinated on you. And I thought you were like so cool. And I thought of you as like a city person. And I was like, he's talking about it. Oh, my mom. Yeah. And I, and I, and I just like thought you were just like so cool and like, and I and and so like that was part of it, and like your life your life prior to like moving to Westchester was like very like cool seeming to me. And then Sex in the City was like I, I just wanted that. I wanted my life to be that. Can you talk about um, how you feel like that strategizing how to like hide and avoid has like carried on into your adult life? There's like plenty of things that like especially like during my twenties that I now real like that I kind of knew at the time and I realized in retrospect, including my entire career, like it's just, I don't know, you can look at things through so many different lenses that it's hard to like have a definitive answer to like what's good and what's bad. I don't know. Like, like I, I, on the one hand, like sort of see my entire DJing career as like this, like sort of shadow protection mechanism I had against like being the artist that I really wanted to be. So there's like one lens through which I look at my DJing career is like, oh, this was like a very smartly strategized way for me to like have a creative and cool forward facing career that like ostensibly seemed like something where I was like utilizing an amazing talent that I had for music. 
Um, but at the same time, like always sort of knowing in the back of my mind that like that wasn't really like what I wanted to be all and end all of my like artistic and creative and professional life to be, but sort of just hoping that it would sort of like suffice as like a cover. So there's one lens through which I look at it that way and I go like, Christ, you know, I may, God, I wish I had started writing and acting and everything that I'm doing now earlier. But then on the other hand, I sort of think like now I have a different perspective on it where I'm sort of like, you know, and that, and I see that as, you know, a, an extension of the strategy that I developed, you know, as in middle school and, and high school, like do that. That's to me that I see that as like part of it. Um, can I just, just before, I just want to make sure it's clear because we skipped over like what I feel like are two of the next big strategies you developed to like cover to cover yourself from like being your full self, right. like having a girlfriend and then yeah, also yeah. being really obese like right. for a while. Right, right, right. I don't know. I don't want to go too much into it. Cause it's like, it was in his what's underneath. Cause it, yeah, no, just cause we don't need to, if it's not naturally coming up, but I just think it would be good so that people do understand like what you're talking about when you talk about like covering up like for these sure. strategies. Like, yeah, well towards the, towards the end of my tenure as a straight man, I, um, got, the final the final piece when I was like felt like kind of the house of cards was like maybe potentially starting to fall down slash when I was dealing with like you know everybody else around me like having sexual experiences and and you know me not knowing exactly where to turn with that and feeling a lot of pressure to to have sex and to have this experience I started dating somebody from a tennis teen tour uh the summer between my a girl a girl between the, between my, the summer between my, um, sophomore and junior year, sophomore and junior year. And, uh, uh, yeah, we dated for a year. I mean, it was convenient cause she lived in San Francisco. So it was like, you know, we weren't together all the time, but it was kind of like, I sort of view that as like, that was like my like last ditch effort to prove to everyone slash myself that, that it wasn't real that I wasn't gay and I was still, it wasn't like I was like, it wasn't this thing of being like inside, like, Oh, I'm gay. And I need to like create this cover. Like it wasn't like the CIA, but it was like, I, (laughs) I, I was still trying to, I was still hoping to show myself that I wasn't, you know what I mean? Like it was still, you know, so, and it was, you know, and, and we had sex and, and it was, you know, and I really, it, it, it wasn't like I would, you know, I really, we were f- very close friends and I, you know, and, and it was her, you know, I lost my virginity. She lost her virginity. You know, it was still, there was like intimacy that was real. Um, but it was also, I think that relationship was really the, the final catalyst, um, especially as it wore on, uh, where I was like, mm, like, this is, this is, this is, a uh, untenable. I remember the day that that happened. She was hysterical. Well, I broke up and with Lily her. And well, I she were was, sitting she, outside the room of your door. Your door was shut and we were listening to the conversation. I know. And Lily was crying. She, and, I remember what, well, what was kind of happening was she, it, it was like just, at that point I had switched to school in the city. I had this very, very close other closeted friend, um, guy friend, finally. It was like the first time I had really like found another who? Sam. And, oh. um, and, you know, and he was like, he was, he made me look like, you know, super hetero i mean he was very flamboyant and like like my whole strategy was to kind of try to mask myself like he was still saying he was straight but like acted like a total faggot i mean like he was just like (laughs) you know it was like really out there in a kind of admirable way i mean he was really super cute we he always actually used to joke that like i when i first got to school because he had been at the school for longer like i like made a point to like 
show to like kind of like angle my like dng lo- logo pants like towards him at a certain point to like sort of as like a sort of like coded language of like that we were kindred spirits and um anyway so yeah so then yeah and then basically she was gonna the girlfriend was gonna move here for that summer and live with us and i was just like fuck no like this can't possibly happen like i was freaking out and that Ultimately was like, I think probably the catalyst where I was like, this can't, I, you know, I have to, this is real. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe and give us a good rating. So the powers that be can keep this podcast going. Yeah. So that was like what? 2000. I graduated from high school in 05. So this was all going down in like early 2000, you know, two or three. And now it's 2018. So like 15 years ish later. Yeah. Um, I think things have both changed enormously and they're still like so far to go that that, I mean I think I think there's no question that my experience going to high school in New York City and being of this family in 2018 would have been insanely different I would be like you tell me who you are yeah well that's and that's just very new like it just wasn't that just wasn't what was going down at that time. And I think like in school, I just think I would have been surrounded by other people that were like, I mean, it just would have just, and it would have been so, so different. And I think, you know, it's not cool anymore to like be homophobic. And when, when I was a kid, like that was, it was totally cool. Like those kids that made fun of me were the cool kids. Like, I don't think that that's in an, in a, at what, least in our liberal in little way? bubble. In what way were they the cool kids? I was going to ask you that. Are they, were they like athletes? They or were they- the, yeah, they were the ones that were like having parties and like fucking girls and, um, um, you know, doing like, just like whatever they were like running. They were definitely like the click that was cool. So in that way, I think things have changed enormously. And, and like, you know, a person I interacted with, um, recently, her son, she was saying how her son came out of the closet when he was 11. And, you know, there's a part of me that's like, obviously like, wow, that's so amazing. But then there's, I have a part of myself that like feels like a sort of like immense sadness around the fact that like, it's still that 11. kid's life is now going to be like, like he's going to get to like explore that like in a normal way and like a much more explore normal, what explore his sexuality and explore being himself as a youth in a much more like normal, natural way. And that like, I'm still at 30, like trying to kind of like make up for missing a lot of that, like natural development. Um, that's like a little bit hard for me sometimes. Um, but I, uh, and then in terms of like how far we have to go with it all, you know, I still am disgusted by the dearth of representation of gay. Well, all LGBTQ people, obviously, but I'm just particularly tuned into the gay male aspect of it just because that's, you know, my experience. And, you know, I've had a number of powerful experiences over my mostly my adult life of seeing real few and far between real honest um and out there representations of gayness that that I connect to that speaks directly to me um and I continue to be floored and grossed out by how 
unique and rare it still feels in 2018 for that to happen what like, are, so in other words if there's like the one movie in it or the one tv show and everyone's yeah. gone we've come so far yeah it's what's like, your feeling about that well it's like you know i saw call me by your name this summer you know which i mean sorry this winter which i which i thought was just gorgeous and a very um exact kind of exactly what i'm talking about in terms of like presenting these things in a way that just presenting like gay gay the way coming into your sexuality as a gay male and being in a gay relationship and exploring that and all of the in it was so nuanced and detailed and so real and it, it like literally because i'm so un i'm so used to watching movies and hearing music and stuff where you know i think and i think all queer people feel this way where it's like we're used to telegraphing our experiences onto this heteronormative media culture that we live in um so when it speaks to you so directly it's almost like not only is it moving cuz it's moving but it's also moving because it's fucking so unique and almost it almost feels weird it almost feels like too much I, I that movie almost was like too much i don't think i could ever watch it again cuz it was so it like it just was such a powerful experience and it happened to me the other day there's this um there's this singer troy savan who is like uh, like like a, he's 20 years old and and was like a youtube sensation who's like transitioned into singing and he's like definitely like a ma- he's going for like mainstream pop music um but he's like singing about like his new single is like explicitly about like the first time he like bottomed during gay sex and like i'm just like i'm so pleased that that's happening you know what i mean and like that it's not that it's also not a kind of music that's like like i feel like there's been music about gay there's been people that make gay music but it's always been like you know left of center underground you know blah blah blah. so there's something very powerful to me about seeing this kind of like you know middle of the road pop artist i mean he's not that he's middle of the road but that he's going for you know mass popularity and he's like singing a song about bottoming like is amazing but also it's just like how is it 2018 and like this is so unique why do you think it's so why is it what is the problem um I think people are just, I think people get very, even though, you know, like, uh, and theoretically people accept these things more, I think the actual experience of it is still hard for people and still feels out of the norm. Like, I think no matter how accepting people are, I think you can't erase centuries of this stuff being under, under the rug. So I still think like, like you're the average person, like in Brooklyn, you know, I think there's a lot of people that like are very accepting and support gay marriage and, you know, are, you know, are liberal and progressive people, but like, do they know about gay sex do they know like the details of how it all works do they know the struggles that we're all facing related to how culture still deals with us like do they do they know what i'm talking about right now and like are is that something that they're actively thinking about and when something feels um out of the norm or out of what they're comfortable from experiencing in media and in music and in film i still think people don't like necessarily gravitate towards being challenged in that way including myself that's what i'm trying to talk about in terms of Call me by your name. It's like it's still weird and shocking for me. So of course it's going to be for everyone. And like, there, I don't think that bridge has been fully crossed yet in terms of like in in the in popular culture. Does it bother you that the two actors were are straight? 
It does and it doesn't. Like, I, it's hard for me to be bothered because I think they both did such a beautiful job and it was so well done and they their performances were so clearly well-researched and, like, lived in and and it not one minute of it rang false to me but i but when i zoom out and i think about the fact that gay actors have been basically like shoved into the closet for all of hollywood history and thus haven't been given the opportunity to flourish as actors as other people have because they're they've been told for so many years to put who they really are into a closet into a box and you can't be a good actor when you do that or you can't be an expansive actor that could play a role like that if you're not being upfront with yourself you couldn't play that role a gay actor that was like trying to shove themselves into the closet isn't going to be able to play a role that's like actively um exploring these issues so that that upsets me that when, when i think about the fact that like you know now hollywood is going to potentially start like making millions and millions of dollars off of telling these stories when meanwhile they have oppressed us uh and created so much misery and ruined people's lives you know, with these kind of standards, that's, that does upset me for sure. Um, what is the biggest risk you've taken in your life? Um, the biggest risk I've taken in my life, uh, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I could pinpoint one thing. I mean, if I was going to say like a tangible thing, I would obviously have been, um, making the pilot I made this winter. Can you Um, talk about it? Can we hear all about it? Yeah, it's a really personal project and it's impossible for me to untangle um, the journey of making it from making it as a piece of art and the journey of just making it from my personal journey through all of the stuff that I've been sharing so far. Um, So what's it about? So it's about... Can I just say you actually, your life, what you imagined your life to be a TV show. Yeah. And now you have made the TV show yeah. and you're in it. Exactly. And your sister's in it. Exactly. And- but yeah, yeah, the pilot is like very, very, very closely based on my life. And it's about, you know, uh, I mean, on, on you know, in a, in, a, in a sort of like, you know, log line kind of way, it's about like a gay DJ sort of like navigating, you know, bros and hoes, bottle service, nightlife culture, which is what I've essentially been doing for the past 10 years. What is that? Like, why is that an interesting thing? Why is that? Well, you know, night, like the, uh, uh, my journey with DJing has, you know, it it can, can sort of like, I think give some insight into like, you know, a lot of my evolution in terms of like how I've thought about my sexuality, because when I first got into it, um, you know, in my early twenties, I'd been out of the closet for a long time, but I had sort of developed, I think a thing, a lot of gay guys, um, have as a knee jerk reaction to coming out of the closet, which is, um, you know, I'm gay, but you know, I'm not going to sort of like associate myself with like other gay guys and like gay culture. Like it it was sort of like a, a continued internalized homophobia that like follows you out of the closet. Um, and it's subconscious. You think you're out, so you're being yourself, and you're da 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 da. But in reality, you're still really being run by shame. Or you didn't want to define yourself or box yourself into like. But you know, yes, that for sure. I didn't you want to used box. To say I didn't want to define myself by being gay. And I yeah, but like it's that's so, changed a lot. Oh my god, I like only want to define. <laughs> I mean, I don't only, but I like, I I am so like I love to define myself that way. There is literally zero part of myself that would ever want to join you guys. Um but um Can you uh, ask why? I think I I feel free from a lot of crap. Like what? Like just the way that heteronormative culture has like forced men and women to be. The more snugly you fit into the patriarchy, the more of a victim you are of it. So you were talking about you were explaining the like you were explaining the purpose of oh show. so 
Yeah. So, so, so as a DJ, I sort of like thrust myself into like DJing only in like these kind of like very, like it's ironic given that like I see, have seen those environments as such a source of suffering, but I like thrust myself into um, this culture that was so dominated by like hetero, like hyper masculine men you know, trying to impress, you know, dainty women teetering in heels by buying them alcohol. And, you know, and I was like, you know, I'm into hip hop. I'm going to play aggressive, you know, masculine music. And I'm just going to, um, you know, and I'm not going to be part of like the the gay nightlife world. So I so I spent years um, and unfortunately, I'm still stuck in it um, uh, DJing like for my oppressors. Um, and, uh, uh, who do oppress you, right? They're, they're pretty. Yeah. I mean, just because like, not, they're not doing it on purpose. I have great empathy for them if I, they're not in my face, but, um, I, I just, uh, uh, it's so funny. And that's just like completely reversed now to the point where like, I would really love to be only DJing for other queer people. But, um, the, uh, the uh show basically like that's the that's the sort of like you know top line premise of it but as it sort of developed over time you know it's really uh about it's just a very personal piece about my struggle with shame related and hiding shame and hiding related to my you know to my latent struggles with my sexuality post coming out of the closet um and how that played out in terms of both like my isolating myself from having intimacy and relationships with other men which i have struggled with a lot um in my adult life um and how i have struggled with owning my uh path as an artist and putting myself out there as an artist and the show and it speaks to what I was talking about earlier in the podcast about using DJing as sort of a shadow career slash cover another sort of cover um, for the for those to sort of hide behind right so, but then it all gave you the food and the material to actually step out right like my my character in the show is also you know is, is on the verge of his 30th birthday and and sort of like me in real life aspiring to make the show uh, he's he aspires to be a songwriter and producer and superstar kind of you know, musician, DJ, and he is just not able to get past himself and his sort of all of the shit that's been piled on top of him, you know, uh, from all of this struggle that he's had with his sexuality, he's really stuck from it in his Um, life. And so, so you wrote the show, you independently produced it and you, you acted in it and you're now trying to pitch it to, to networks to become a, a series. A series. Yeah. Can you talk about why it was the biggest risk you've ever taken? If you had asked me like at any point in my life, if I could open a door and on the other side of the door was the life I wanted and I could just do it. And and there wasn't anything standing between me and having the ultimate thing that I wanted. I would have hands down at pretty much every space had said it would be writing and starring in my own TV show or work or movie. I don't know, like something in that in that realm like out front a star writing things that people connect to um for sure at the same time i had literally really resigned myself to not doing that i mean i had i tried everything that i possibly could to find a way to not do that because 
you know, as someone who spent their whole life with hiding as a primary strategy, like it's a pretty big leap to go from like, yes, I want this thing, but also my main function in life is to avoid being criticized, avoid being seen, avoid being, you know, vulnerable to attack. So like those two things, you know, they're pretty oppositional forces. And, you know, in in my head, I always, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, because it's like in my head, I thought that the hiding impulse was the strongest and that was running the show. This is the point that's made me realize like, no, it's actually the life force that wants to heal and wants to 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 expand to the fullest potential is way stronger because even in spite of having that viewpoint and in 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 an entire adult life that I viewed as like where I just was like what's you know is it going to be DJing is it going to be you know getting a job you know you know writing about music for, you know hiding behind my computer is it going to not that that's inherently a thing but just for me personally is it going to be moving to a farm? Is it going to be, what is going to be the thing that I can do to not have to do this that'll make me happy enough and fulfilled enough um, that I can sort of trick myself into not doing this? And not so, doing the the most risky and the thing that you, you're meant yeah, you not, you're, not, not Not expanding. Yeah, and not, and not putting myself out there. Out there. Um, in the way that that is demanded for the thing I really wanted through the door, when you know the, you, the thing I want through the opening door, of course you don't just get to walk through that door. You get you 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 have to you first have to cross a whole Rubicon of like of self doubt and and you know there's it do, it doesn't work that way, but it is a good I think thing for everybody to constantly reflect on because I think you can easily lose track of like what do you really want to be doing under the sort of like. Um, constant day-to-day psychological drama in your head like you can you can lose sight of like oh like it's important to remember that like if you removed all that drama what would you want you know what i mean if you could if you didn't have the drama because the truth is if you really do want something you can make it through all of the drama um you know but you have to be clear on like that you want it and i think you i think you have to remind yourself oh right like it's like that is what i want and that is attainable um but the drama's resistance. Right. And then, but I think then in terms of the risk, you know, it was just like, it, it was, I, I can't, I, it's hard for me to understate the risk. Be, and it really, I think the simplest way for me to say it is, be, and it, and I think it's obvious at this point is because it was like the moment in my life where I decided like I was going to stop hiding from wanting to do this, hiding from the person I could see myself becoming through doing this, hiding from making myself vulnerable and putting myself out there, hiding from rejection, hiding from being laughed at. I mean, I, I, I call mom every day, you know, like during this process, like, you know, whether it was through pre-production, through the shoot, through the feedback rounds we've been getting, the focus groups we've been having, whatever, like, you know, every, it always comes back to me calling mom and going, I think everyone's laughing at me. I think everyone's making fun of me behind my back. I think everybody, like, that's like the fear that continues to come up um, as I, as I get further down this path. And like that, I think that, you know, it's, it, what's great about it is now like, that's a fear that I'm not being dominated by because I'm still moving forward. Whereas I think that was the, that was the number one operative prior was don't get laughed at you know don't it's it's so intensely poetic the whole thing like that you spent your whole life undercover hiding creating in your mind this idea that your life's a tv show in order and, and creating this fantasy world in order to cope with the harshness of not being able to be yourself and now actually 
the TV show make, is the thing. The that, TV show is the thing that's liberating you. A million and percent. that you're like not finally really not hiding. It's as, like it's, do it. It's not the text. Like you the, couldn't script well, the whole. Yeah, thing. Yeah, but like, your your TV show is the opposite of Sex in the City. I mean, it's ex- so painstakingly real. It is the opposite of hiding. It is like your blood, guts. You're you are naked in, yeah, in it, and 100%. that. So in a way, like you're really coming out now. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. I mean, it's like it's like, and but I'm coming out now as opposed to when I was 16 in like an intentional way, and I have the tools to like navigate through it in a way that isn't just sort of like the world is happening to me, like I'm happening to the world. So it's like. It's like, uh, which is a much better place to be. Um, and, you know, like when you talk about the gaining weight thing, I think, you know, when I came out the first time, I was, there was so, I was so much in a, oh my God, the world is happening to me thing that I just sort of like drowned physically. I drowned myself physically. But I like, uh, you know, because I gained like 100 pounds like pretty much soon after coming out of the closet the first time. So, um, yeah, and, and I think... You know, it's like everything, like, you know, my, we always joke about my therapist, you know, like I'm obsessed with my therapist, but my therapist um, um, <laughs> talked about this Shout whole out process. Wendy. Shout out to Wendy. I, the, the, my, my therapist Wendy, talked about... Wendy, do you have about, a duplicate? No. Um, my therapist <laughs> always talked about how like this process of making this was like giving birth to myself. And I like couldn't, I can't tell you how accurate of a depiction that is. Like everything I thought about myself, everything, every limitation that I saw myself having coming into this, like I realized wasn't actually real. Like a person that was scared, a person that couldn't assert themselves, a person that like couldn't express what they needed, a person that was afraid to be judged. Like, you know, all of those things proved themselves not to be so true. Delusional. Yeah. And like, not that I still don't struggle with it. And every day I do continue to face these fears and I often get sidetracked and stuck and you know it's not like I've like you know that's the other thing it's not like growth is linear and you and like you just cross the threshold and then everything's just like a fucking cakewalk because it's not but I definitely now have this new perspective on like wow I actually like don't like everything like I you know before this I was like I thought I knew everything I thought I knew everything about myself I thought I knew everything about the world I thought I you know da 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 and like that actually proves not to be true like you can really fucking surprise yourself um, and you know, a lot of, and, 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 and the risk, and this is what I was, I've been like coming to a lot lately is like risk, like, um, believing in yourself and, and believing in the universe and trusting the universe is a choice that you make. Like, it's not, I think there's a misperception that like something is going to happen to you that makes you do that. Like you're going to be validated by the outside. You're going to be told you're good enough by somebody or you're going to be accepted by somebody and then you'll start to trust and then you'll start to see it. It actually doesn't work that way. It works in reverse. You have to first take this giant leap. At least for me, it's a giant leap as a logic, as a person that like invests a lot in logic. It's very hard. It's, it was, it's been historically very hard for me to trust the universe, to trust other people because I'm like, well, what's the proof? Where, when, are, when, are, you know, like, how are, you, what's the result of this trust going to be? You know what I mean? Can you give me a concrete, you know, reason that I should believe in it? And the, and you don't, you actually don't have that. You don't get that. You just have to actually do the trusting first, and then the universe like rises to meet you. Once you do that, surrender. Yeah, it's like and rises to meet surrender. you, and rises to meet you in ways that like are beyond your wildest imagination. But first you have to like take this incredibly scary risk where you just jump into this black void. That's how it feels where you do not have like a tangible thing. That's like 
this is why you should trust. Like there is no, that will never happen. It just you just have to do it. That, and then and then also just taking all of the adversity, the really intense adversity that you faced, or and that one faces and that people face, and instead of resisting it and fighting with it, you surrender to that trust and that's you know and then and then it sort of ushers you or guides you well you keep reconnecting to it and, you know because like you're you 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 want to you want to always return to the the controlling part of yourself that thinks like your anxiety is helping you get a grip on everything and that you're like not trusting is making you more in control like that's how you like want to you instinctually want to go back to that and then you and then when that gets too unbearable you have to remind yourself like I'm not in control at the end of the day. And there's forces outside of myself that are greater than me that if I just sort of connect to that and realize that they're already working and they're working all the time and they're working when I'm lazy and they're working when I'm uninspired and they're working when I'm, um, you know, they're always working even when they don't seem like they are. And, and growth is painful. Like I think, I think people like, I think in like our modern imagination Mm -hmm. about self-help, we think of growth as like this ecstatic eat, pray, love, you know, fiesta. Just start um, meditating and you're just going to go yeah, right into growth but and growth, happiness. Yeah. 90, I mean, there's, oh, and there is that part of growth. There is those moments where, I mean, and like making this pilot was so one for me where it was just like, wow, like this is so cool and I can feel myself growing and it feels great and I feel amazing. And, and like, supported I feel by best. all these people. Yeah, I feel the best I've ever felt and I feel like at peace with the universe and like I'm connected to the stars. And then um, 90% of growth is feels horrible and like really uncomfortable and like, and, and, and icky and like, and weird and confusing and like terrible. And lost. But that doesn't mean that it isn't growth. I think that that's like the thing that people mm. for that we lose track of is like that is growth. And like, I think we have, I think a lot of fucking unhappiness arises from false expectations. And I think setting the right expectation for how you're going to feel in a certain situation, which is that, yeah, you're growing and it's going to feel fucking terrible. A lot of the time is a really helpful way to like reorient your mind around it. What's your biggest source of shame remaining source of shame? Uh, how do I pick just one? Um, I, I think right now I'm dealing with, um, the first thing that comes to mind is related to relationships and intimacy, romantic relationships and intimacy, because I've never been in a relationship with a guy, like a, an actual functioning, both of us in it really relationship. Um, and you know, it's, and and it's that, that's been an, an uh, a thing that's evolved over time uh like i spend a lot of my 20s just sort of like doing the thing that i always have done in the past which is like um um pushing it out of my awareness uh like like my my line through the majority of my 20s was like i don't want to be in a relationship like i don't even want this it's not for me i don't i'm not doing this and that was my way of sort of like you know, there was, I have a lot of wounds around intimacy. There's a lot of wounds that, that's a, that's a core, core danger zone, um, with a lot of fear. And I like my way of confronting that through my twenties was to just go like, 
I don't want this. Like I just, it's just not something I'm looking for. And also that made, that gave me, cause I was, I, cause I don't think I was prepared to experience actual intimacy. I wasn't comfortable with myself. I wasn't comfortable like exposing myself to most people to my, it's, you know, even though I was out of the closet to myself, I didn't really want to be seen, you know, aside from you guys, like I never really let anybody else see too much about me. Um, and, uh, I wanted to really control my image for all the reasons that we've, discussed and so that really precludes uh a a true intimate romantic partnership and i wasn't and there's still and i'm still dealing with that anxiety and fear around that right now except now i'm coming at it from a place of like awareness about how much i really desperately do want that um but i and you're willing willing and i'm willing to exactly so um but that doesn't mean that i'm still not like fucking freaked like every minute of dating and trying to find a relationship and every experience sexual experience and everything isn't like filled with all kinds of shame 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 body shame tons of stuff when i meet somebody new and they or or i go on on a date um or somehow like it comes up like talk about your you know about our past relationship history and i'm like well i don't have one you know like it's it's uh i feel uh, that's still not i still haven't totally like figured out how to like you know, I, I always know and I aspire to be, I know one thing I know as an idea and I'm, I'm very confident in is like when you own everything about yourself and you, and you stand behind it a hundred percent and you realize, as I said, as I've talked about a lot, that you're on a journey and every, your journey is your journey. And it's like, there's nothing, nothing about your journey makes you broke, more broken than another person. It's just, that's your journey. Um, and if you just stand behind that journey a hundred percent, like that's what, you know, that's all you need to do. And people that, you know, you're good. Um, that would take away the shame. Yeah. But, it, but you know, that's hard. I mean, that can be sometimes hard in specific ways. And for me, I'm still working at being able, it, it, with certain people, being um, able to claim. when I sense judgment from the other person, if I don't sense the judgment, you know, obviously I'm able to, to talk about it and feel good. And I'm much, it's much better now. And I feel honestly, even just talking about it right now, I feel much less shame around it than I have before. And I just, because like, what's the freaking point? I mean, like did it, that is what the story is. And like, you know that, and I haven't been ready for it until now. And like, that's just what the fucking, that's the deal. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, I, 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 I want like an anxiety that I have is like, you know, that will, that will still arise all the time. It's like, is there something about me that's just flawed on the inside that just precludes this from happening that I'll never, be able to trick somebody into being in a relationship with me. Um, but like I'm getting the only way through that is I guess just by continuing to just sort of like do what I'm instinctually wanting to do, which is to seek that intimacy out and to through that process, hopefully like realize there's all kinds of things just like with my pilot that are true, that are, that that my potent, my capacity to do things, including be in this in the relationship that I want to be in, are far greater than I might understand at this time. And that also, just like the pilot, it's going to bring a lot of really great growth, but it's also going to bring a lot of messy growth. And, for sure, and it's just going to be all. I've, the- that's the other thing. I, I think I'm ready for the messiness. I think before there was a part of me that like couldn't handle the messy the messy parts of it, like that love often comes with pain and. Like, you know, that, that, that I was like, why would I invite pain? That's crazy. I would never do that. Like that's, just stay home and cook. Yeah. Like that's like less <laughs> painful. What is your biggest fear? What are you most afraid of? Hmm. Um, I think I still 
what it comes down what I would have for most of my life I would have said and like this is somewhat still true that I am afraid that I will I'm afraid I would have phrased it before as I'm afraid that I won't fulfill myself as an artist or that I won't um fulfill my potential um as an artist um and that you'll let yourself down that I'll let myself down and I think I think I still struggle with a fear I think and this sort of comes back to I think hiding Mike's hiding and queerness and also the like not like my mind operating on all of these different levels like of consciousness like the subconscious part of myself that knew it was I was gay but the conscious part of myself that was able to sort of look away from that um mm-hmm. I think that I still have a fear that I'm gonna do that that I that I can just sort of without with the best intentions in my consciousness that I will somehow find a secret way to sabotage myself and that I can't trust myself that I can't trust that my conch I can't trust my own awareness and consciousness that's like a big fear I have that, that, that my reality is skewed that I that or that I, you'll let denial overpower without being aware even even with you know like well, all of the knowledge is. that I've accrued and like every everything that I know to be true about myself and about the world and every every you know but as I said it's like the experience of making this pilot and seeing how great that how much it's like it's it has to do with those two opposing forces it's like i've proven to myself in a major way that like the force that doesn't do that is really strong and stronger than the the force that does do that and so that gives me a that alleviates you know when i when i when i can zoom out and look at that that alleviates that but that's a huge that's like a huge overarching fear and i think now that i've opened up this part of myself there's the other fear is that i won't experience love there's a the high stakes right now. Yeah. I definitely um like desperately want to fall in love and be fallen in love with simultaneously <laughs> for once. And I desperately want that for you. Yeah. What would you say is your definition of self-acceptance? Right now, at least, like and I this is all subject to change. Um, but I think it's the absence of self-loathing because um like, you know, I talk about this a lot. Like, it, it's like, I love people who just own their lives in this radical way. And I, it doesn't matter who they are, what the fuck they're doing, as long as they are just, like, loving it and owning it. Like, and that includes, like, being a fucking lazy asshole or, like you know, whatever it is, like just real true, just owning it. And it's like, not from a running place. Like it's from like a, this is my bliss and I'm owning it or, you know, whatever it is, like I'm a hundred pounds overweight. I'm, I'm whatever the thing is. It's just like that whenever someone stands behind themselves and like you can, and I feel that you, it's a thing you can sense when someone's doing it and they're running or they're doing it and it's coming from like a self-possessed place. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel that I don't, give myself that I, I, I won't I, I, I'm reticent sometimes and I still struggle with granting myself the same permission to own those things about myself like like the part of myself that is lazy like I have a lazy part of myself and it creates a lot of great things that like 
we've talked about here. It, it has allowed these amazing like interests of mine to grow and self-containment and, and interests. I'm, I might add for people that don't know, like you're cook, staying home and cooking every cooking, night, cooking history, amazing. politics, you're an cook, your music, entire DJ career wouldn't have happened. Everything. I, and every, and everything to music, all everything day. about me. I mean, I get so much joy out of my laziness. So, <laughs> but not when there's this undercurrent of self-loathing underneath it so for right for me right now and this might be like a myopic version of it but right now what i think is standing between me and self-acceptance is a latent self-loathing that i'm afraid to let go of because i think it goes back to what i was saying earlier it's like self-loathing i think i we're addicted like it's like anxiety you, you think it's an engine you think you can like hate yourself into changing yourself um, and in reality, like the more you just sort of dive into it, like your la- like laziness or whatever, like that's the thing that just comes up for me a lot because I can sort of be in, in these two extremes where I either am like the hardest working person who like gets more done than anybody could possibly imagine in a short spurt of time. And then I can like become like so slothful and like just, you know, inert. Can um, barely buy a tube of toothpaste. Yeah, exactly. I can't even like, can barely like answer an email. Um, I can go from like, you know, being the boss of 75 people and juggling 5,000 things at once to like literally being unable to answer an email. Um, but, and that's, you know, that's another, there's other parts of that that's like anxiety and whatever. But I think it's just like, um, actually the way to find the balance between the two things is to remove the self-loathing. Because I think like, then it's like, it's like the actual, you think that I think I'm going to self-loathe myself out of being lazy or whatever, but really it just makes me more inert, more unhappy it prolongs unhappiness, you know, as opposed to just like just falling into that and then like creating space around it and then having more of a holistic and easy way to sort of like view like the the seasons of life that are, that are just part of my rhythm. And that's like when I, when people are more in touch, when people are in touch with those things radically and just sort of like having a delighted interaction with their life as opposed to a hateful interaction with their life, that's self-acceptance. What would you say to your nine or 10 year old self and then kind of, I don't know, is it the same? Would you trade it? Would you trade your experiences? The person who I feel I'm becoming and the person who I aspire to become uh, doesn't want to change anything. So what would you say to your nine year old self? To all of my younger selves, I think I would just sort of be like, relax, (laughs) like relax, like everything's going to work out like stop I, I think I, I guess that like like I, I there were so many things I look back on and I'm like this was such a big deal and that was such a big deal and nah, 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 and I was clenching and just sort of like you know I think the more you can sort of like be delighted by what's happening even when it seems dark I think that's like really like the best advice that I could give to myself over time would have been to just like like it it you don't have control. You, you you can do everything that you can do, but you don't ultimately like have this much control, including on how people think about you and who you are and like what you look like and what, you, you know, how people experience your selfhood and sexuality and every, like you don't have, like just fucking like enjoy the awkwardness, enjoy the weirdness, enjoy like figuring out who you are, enjoy like, like instead of like thinking of it as this horrible, like, fraught journey to some sort of destination that doesn't exist like it's it's like uh um just 
enjoy all of the weird, horrible, great things about life and the journey of it. That's awesome. This was really amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks, Loon. You're really, welcome, really. I feel I feel like inspired to, to for today more than I did a couple hours ago. Me too, so. kind of. <laughs> what do you feel inspired to do, Mom? Differently? What What are you, what are you taking? Just away? what he was, Lewis was saying just now is like everything. Just you know, all of the, you know, to just take all of the tough and rough moments and try to treat them like with joy. We hope you were inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode and subscribing to our podcast. You can also watch our videos by subscribing to our YouTube channel and following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook using the handle at StyleLikeYou. That's the letter U instead of the word U. And check out our book, True Style is What's Underneath, The Self-Acceptance Revolution on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There's no finding oneself when glossing over the truth. Life moves fast. It's good to take a step back and appreciate the little things in life. On Simply Complex, we dive into those professions, items, and processes we often drive past in a blur or take for granted in our daily rush. Subscribe to Simply Complex on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening most to take a deeper look into the deceptively simple things in our lives that are actually extremely complex. Do you like video games? Do you love PlayStation? Then I may just have the podcast for you. My name is Colin Moriarty, co-host of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, a weekly show dedicated to all things PlayStation 4, PlayStation VR, PlayStation Vita, and soon enough, PlayStation 5. Since I started professionally covering the gaming industry in 2002, a lot has changed. Games are deeper, more immersive, and more beautiful than ever. They're bringing players on adventures we never quite knew were possible and changing lives through the positivity of escapism. Our show celebrates all of that with a weekly burst of news and analysis and a healthy dose of laughs, too, mostly delivered via my co-host, comedian, YouTuber, and gamer, Chris Raygun. If you're gigantic nerds like us with a passion for the PlayStation ecosystem, past, present, and future, we hope you'll join us for Sacred Symbols, available on CastBox and pretty much anywhere else you download your podcasts.